two, three, two, one. Drop the ball. It's the My Michelle Live podcast. My, 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 my Michelle Live. My Michelle Live. Sports time out. The fans, the field, the faith, the fun. Here's Michelle. Ah, come on. Not just Michelle, but we've got with us. Garrick Payne, Brent Baker, Rich Hallstrom, Joshua McMillan, Coach Tom Fisher, pretty much most of our usual regular folks coming in for one reason only. We do it from a Seattle kind of an angle. That's where all of us have a little bit of grounding, but we all take on sports! 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 Sports, 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 sports. Yes, indeed. (laughs) I love it. Josh, uh, congratulations on being nominated for 2020 Wookiee of the Year. That's that's quite a... It's not even close. I know. Better than the real it. thing. Oh, right? <laughs> exactly. Guys, a happy all happy new year. This is an exciting, you know, we're we're 2020 uh 2020 2021. Yeah. 2020 is hindsight. We'll just say that. Okay. Hindsight is actually 2020. And we have some real cool things to celebrate. I just want to get the good stuff off my chest. First and foremost, Seattle Seahawks. Seattle Seahawks, blue and green. Come on. The Seahawks beat the Rams 20-9. That is a butt whooping. They are NFC Western Division champs and that was guys that was amazing to watch it was exciting to watch because it really was uh and josh and i are especially defense fans amen josh can i get an amen hallelujah oh amen (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) so we totally were were engaged in a defense mammoth game on both sides Oh, absolutely. That game, that that was old school Seahawks. And I, I think that, that they called it well on the broadcast when going into halftime, you know, Kyle Shanahan's, or, sorry, not Kyle Shanahan, the, the Rams coach was was out there saying, like, ah, well, you know, we need to stop making mistakes. We need to, you know, get back to football. And then like ran off of the locker room. Then Aaron Andrews goes over to Pete Carroll and, and he says, oh, isn't this great? Our team's playing so well. You know, this is this is C, this is Seahawks football. This is Pete Carroll's kind of football. You know, balance attack, defensive slugfest. And I think my favorite thing about this game was like it wasn't a low-scoring game because it looked like there was two teams lost and couldn't figure out what they're doing out there. Although Jared Goff has the face where he always looks a little lost. If we're all going to be fair, but you know, I think he played a tough game, even though it. Oh, but and come on, looked- let's give it. Let's give him a little bit of credit. Guy was on the field putting his thumb back into place, dude. Yeah. Yeah, no, he he played tough, you know, and I, I like I, he's a bit of an airhead, but he he likes to play tough. He's a little awkward in space. I'll say that he does not. He is not a runner. He is. He is a pocket passer. He stays in the pocket when he's out of the pocket. He looks like a fish out of water. But both teams looked good. Neither team looked like they were flailing around on offense. Both were trying hard and it was just good, solid defense. You know, and this has been a historic turnaround. You got it. Ken Norton got a lot of fire early in the year for how bad this defense was, considering the personnel that we have on the field. But this defensive turnaround is unprecedented. We were on track to be the worst defense in NFL history. (laughs) And it started turning around the last half of our loss to the Rams the last time where we our defense started to figure it out. Our defense started to step up. And finally, this personnel is playing up to their expectations. And they've gone from one of the, the worst defense in the NFL to being one of the top five defenses. And as Jamal Adams will tell you, we're the best in the NFL. There you go. All right. I love that swagger that he's bringing to that team. Coach Tom Fisher is a future coach for the Seattle Seahawks. We're just going to speak that into being because I I think they could use you. (laughs) You know, we'd we'd like to see you on a bigger stage, but defense is your baby. And I want to ask you, 
What took us so long? Well, a lot of it is, you know, the, the certain player, key players that we had that were out and injured, you know, there was, there was a lot of gaps to fill. And, you know, uh, when we finally hit, I think full stride was when we got to the Jets game. And I mean, you know, you, you still got to play the game, but the, the whooping we put on, I think really, uh, the, virtually the no score, I mean, which has been that way the last three games uh, that we've played, the defense has really come together. Everybody's, you know, figured out that they've got to play, play hurt uh, a little mm-hmm. bit, you know, and fight through that. And with everything sticking together, it just, you know, the conformity of the defense is really stepping forward and shining. And it's good to see. Uh, Brent, you want to weigh in? Yeah, I think that we can't um, ride off the effect of um, virus restrictions early, in, you know, during the summer because we didn't have a preseason. We had some key personnel that were new between uh, Jamal Adams and, um, and Carl, you know, well, we brought in guys. Carlos Dunlap was a, a key addition. Yep. Um, the, the discovery of DJ Reed. Um, so there was, there was a lot of moving pieces early on. You had guys who had ever played together before, and then we had injuries too. So I just I think a lot of it was just taking that much time to get all those pieces working together well. You know, as much as people like us, there was a lot of angst over the Seahawks defense, and you know, a lot of it was deserved. You never sensed any panic from from Pete Carroll, and he, you know, it, it didn't sound like there were coaching changes about to be made. It was just like they stayed the course they knew what they had and they knew it would take some time to bring it together and lo and behold all those decades of coaching experience it turns out they were right you mentioned a lot of injuries and we didn't really have a preseason uh fish we've had conversations about how even dumbing down the preseason and making sure no one gets hurt during preseason is not really in the best interest of players because when we go out and play all out we see a lot more injuries do you think that was part of the issue in the non-existent preseason of last year yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it, you know, the, the, I want to say pampered athletes, you know, but you're, you're getting paid a, a large sum of money. You, you just said it. Work, you just you know? said it. <laughs> we heard it. Come on. I don't want to say it, you know? but it is, but I did. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you, Garrick. Oh, you know, I think it, it, it's been one of those strange seasons because uh, for, you know, for the reasons already mentioned and, and I think really getting that that diversity in the offense as well. Um, when when we were getting getting our running backs back, and then being able to um, have Russell scramble, it was very evident in that game. Looking at the contrast between the two quarterbacks, um, just to see the style of Russell Wilson versus um, their quarterback, and. I, at one point I called him a chicken <laughs> because, you know, he slid and he, he, he just didn't want it. It was like, he didn't want any kind of <clears throat> contact. And, um, and if you're an NFL quarterback, you need to have, be willing to, to have that contact. Well, and I'm going to ask you to turn your mic up just a little bit, Garrick. You're a little quieter oh, sure. than the rest of us. But, you know, I, I have noticed that Russ, back in his early days, would really put himself out there. Now he's playing it a little bit more cautious. I want your thoughts on this, Rich, and your analysis of the game. Let me introduce to you the encyclopedia of sports right here. He <laughs> He rolls. He's a rolling encyclopedia, Rich Hallstrom. Thanks, Michelle. I think one of the things in this and Tom touched on this earlier. Seahawk defense playing as a as a unit, spacing much better, one on one matchups. DJ Reed, Carlos Dunlap, the two biggest acquisitions that the Seahawks made during the season at any point in time in maybe Seahawks history as this team gets going toward the playoffs. Two acquisitions that make this team a better playoff team. Try Seahawk defense plays better in their one-on-one matchups in the latter part of the year. That's why this team has, in, has increased as a possible uh, Super Bowl contender, has increased <clears throat> its chances to really do something during the playoffs. Now that's, and that's when it counts. 
This team got better as the season went along. That's how Pete Carroll approaches every season to to be better by the end of the season, as opposed to the beginning of the season. And what we see in the Ram game specifically with Jared Goff at quarterback for the Rams, we don't see as good of an athlete as Russell Wilson. You've got to have a real athlete at quarterback in the NFL. Tom, back me up about this in the NFL yeah. to, to succeed. You've got to have that athlete, the better athlete you have at quarterback in the NFL, the more successful your team is going to be. I like it. And okay. So you mentioned Pete Carroll, go ahead, Josh. <clears throat> yeah. And I, I think that that's the way that we're trending right now in the NFL is we're seeing people that, that run. We see people that, that can scoot and move. Now, do I think the homes you have? For, yeah, you see it. And honestly, if we're going to talk about where this all started, Russell Wilson started this. He was I the guy that came I think in that's arguably true. Passers. You, know, you saw other guys in that draft that people were all crazy about that. A lot of them were pocket passers. There were a couple of guys that were that he's outlasted that were the mobile quarterbacks that are no longer playing as starters in this league. Some are backups aren't even in, in the league, but he started this kind of trend towards the, the mobile athletic quarterback. Now, I do think that there's still a place in this league for the pocket passers, but you have to have a team built for that pocket passing. You have to have a team that that's really built for that. And that has to be a tough offensive line needs to be all, all top tier quality guys. You can play that way, but it's just so much easier when you've got a guy that can scramble, you know, cause the defensive line can't just, pin their ears back and go after you they can't just storm the castle of the, those those guards and your offensive linemen they have to be aware that you can get outside the pocket or if they let a hole open up in the middle that you could just shoot off down exactly the middle. you got it adds another layer of defense uh to, to what the defense has to be aware of so i think that there is a place for pocket passers but man it's it's hard to build a team that can have an offense built around a pocket passer when it's so much easier with these dynamic people, dynamic athletes at quarterback. Okay. And think, having said that, go ahead, go ahead. Brent. I think there's, there's two more pieces that I think um, maybe weren't given enough credit at the time that they were, the moves they were made, but I know a lot of people questions the drafting of Jordan Brooks and man, he has been making, oh, since he got healthy the second half of the season, he's been making some major contributions. Excellent point. Um, you know, go, especially on some of the goal line situations and stuff. And he's really looking like if he continues to develop uh, an excellent draft. The second thing was uh, bringing in Carlos Hyde and just increasing the depth of the running back position. Because at this point last year, our top three running backs were all out. We were signing Marshawn Lynch, mm-hmm. who, you know, as exciting as that was, he's not who he was five years ago, five years earlier. So the fact that the depth was there, it got us through some iffy situations in the backfield. And now the health of the team is really good. I think that's the biggest thing is that heading towards the playoffs, there's not a whole lot going on injury injury wise. And as much as anything, that, that can affect the deep playoff run right there. A playoff run. And I, go I, ahead. I was just going to say, I, I think um, I'm still looking for a little bit more strength out of our offensive line. It seems like when we have faced teams with a really strong defensive line that, um, you know, Russell hasn't had time and it, it's created some issues for us. And so that's a, a little bit of my concern. Okay. You know, All right. I, th- that's true. But at the same time, look at how this offensive line has held up the last two weeks. That's I mean, true. Chase Young was defensive player of the week. And did you hear his name called once when he they played right. when they played the the Washington football franchise, uh, they, it was, they, they nullified them, you know, and Aaron I think part did, of that was the, this team, this offensive line has been playing better than they have in years. They've really made a turnaround with this group of guys, but also the scheming and the play calling and getting the pressure off of Russ. And, you know, even though he yes. was sacked a couple of times against the Rams, the Rams and, and the Washington football team are two of the best defensive lines in the NFL right now. Yeah. Who doesn't and get sacked by the Rams? We minimized <laughs> the impact of that. In the second half, especially. Yeah. In the first half, I was a little bit concerned just because Russ wasn't getting enough time and, you know, he was getting sacked. So, right. All right. So yeah, well, yeah, that was kind of, that was kind of embarrassing in a way, but anyway, we pulled it out. Yeah. And the cool thing about it is something that you mentioned, Rich, you know, it's what 
we do in the latter half of the season, and it's what we do in the latter half of the game. That's kind of the Seattle way, but specifically the Pete Carroll way of coaching. You don't win games in the first, second, or third quarter. You win them in the fourth quarter. We have had to learn this year that you have to play all four quarters, though, because that's where some of our losses have. But as we go into the playoffs, there was an article that was uh, last wordsports.com, I believe, that said the 2020 Seahawks are built to make a Super Bowl run. And I would like to talk about that with you guys uh, because we need to toss in something we didn't get a chance to talk about uh, yet. That is a franchise record for the Seattle Seahawks. Seven Seahawks players selected for the 2021 Pro Bowl honors. And that includes our very own D. K. Metcalf, his first Pro Bowl welcome, actually. Uh, and what does he do as soon as he get as soon as he finds out this is what we get to on this podcast? He gives glory to God. Woohoo! Gosh. Yeah, let's take that on. You know, and this team really exemplifies that. Like, if you look at these guys on Twitter, and even if in here, I think I tweeted about this. You hear heard at the final moments of that game, uh, Jamal Adams saying, "God is good. God is good." <laughs> you know, you and you know, congrats to Jamal Adams. This guy's been one of the best safeties in the league, if not the best safety in the league. Finally, gets on a winning team, gets to win his first division. <laughs> The first division the Seahawks have won since 2016, by the way, and his first playoff run. I'm excited for what this guy gets. Go get him a ring. But you <laughs> see this from a lot of these guys on the team. <laughs> Giving glory to God. DK Metcalf's always tweeting out scripture and and Russell Wilson being the leader of that in a lot of ways. And a lot of the other players on this team really kind of following suit in that and giving glory where glory's due. All right. And maybe doing it in a way, though, that is not excluding other people, other thoughts, other faiths. Uh, it it has a much different feel. There's a, a movement we'll talk about a little bit later, and that's the athlete activism movement that has this exclusive, you think like us or you're out. And that's not what I see happening from this movement in the NFL. What are your thoughts, guys? Well, I think it depends on the sport. Um, if you have strong Christian role models in a particular sports league or a particular team leading the way like they should, like Tim Tebow, Kurt, um, Tim Tebow, uh, or Russell Wilson or someone like that, you're going to get a different response to the everyday life that we talk about on the show. And you're going to see that response. And that response is going to resemble Christ more often than not. I think too, though, as a speaking now as a pastor, I, I, I did. I used to get super excited when players would talk about their faith, and and I still think that it's a good thing to do that. However, I want to hear them say glory to God when they lose. That's right, and that and, does and, happen. And, you see that in the NFL when we lost the last Super Bowl. Uh, Russell Wilson and some of the other guys were on the sidelines. They were kneeling then too, and that's as important. You know, we where there's a place for people maybe uh, showing what they believe, but when we get it out of whack, it feels out of whack. Yeah, I like I. I liked Rich. I liked an illustration or a story from your book with Chris, um, where uh, Troy Palomalu, I think, after the, they beat the Seahawks in the Super Bowl, said, "Correct. Yes, it's easy. You should tell the story, but how how much easier it is to talk, give glory to God when you win." <laughs> yeah, yeah. He he talked about that. We uh, had a chance to speak with him, and I talked to him about what this would do, what this win would do, as a platform for him, and he said that he learned no matter what the circumstances I need to give glory, I need to give glory to God and whatever happens on the field, I'm going to give glory to God. I can't speak about what it's like in the other locker room. He was referring to the Seahawk locker room at that point, but I, but he said, I know, I know why I'm here. I know why I'm here and I'm going to give glory to God, no matter what the circumstances and no matter what happens to me. And that's where 
it's got to be, I want you guys to keep that in mind as we talk in a little while about athleticism and activism, you know, because you don't want to be hypocritical, but I want to linger on football for just a few more moments. Um, Rich, you sent uh, something that you said we should take on about Dwayne Haskins' situation and his release from the team formerly known as the... <laughs> the, the Washington football team. That uh, Washington football... That other we'll Washington say, football team. That, or... other wa- that other Washington football team. And unfortunately, Dwayne's, Dwayne Haskins was uh, photographed and other forms of media out after a particular game recently uh, going to a local gentleman's club. Let's just put it that way. So we can be respectful to our audience. And he went out without his mat. Nothing gentlemanly mat. about those clubs though. Let's just, uh, no, let's just but, say no, it. but let's just be respectful to the ladies in our audience. Let's put it that way as much as we can, can be when discussing something like that. Um, he was in a place that he should not be. Uh, not following uh, COVID-19 protocols. Um, and he ultimately lost his captaincy as part of the Washington football team. Ron Rivera took a, a very, very strong stand as he should have and said, we can't have those kind of things and you need to be playing a lot better and you need to be representing this team a lot better, both on the field and off the field. And uh, it just goes to show you, that God gives you opportunities and it's up to you to come through and uh, live for him. Okay. So what are we more upset about that? He was engaged in a a legal activity that uh, represents misogyny. And so not really of the highest um, character quality or that he wasn't wearing a mask or there wasn't, uh, you know, protocols for COVID, which one do we really care about? We should be upset about, we should be upset about all of it because he's not being a leader for his team and an example for his teammates and his teammates. And that's not very respectful to your teammates who have obeyed all the rules and, and, put the team for put the team first and put the organization first and are out there doing the right thing. There's something to be said for sportsman like behavior. I think, um, I think too, it's, we've seen pro sports teams will put up with a lot from players um, off the field activities. If they um, get down to business when it's time to get down to business and we can argue about whether that's a good thing or not. But the fact is that, he was doing all these things that were crossing all sorts of lines. He was not leading his team. And then when it was time to play, he was showing through his play that he wasn't prepared to be out there. So when, he put, all of, when he put all of that together, um, you know, it's, it's a different era because then maybe it was a year ago when you could do stuff off the field and no one cared. Well, now it affects everybody when you bring the stuff off the field and it comes back and like we saw with the Cleveland Browns losing all of their wide receivers for a game mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. the things that happened with Baltimore with half their team, he risked doing that to his entire team. And so I was kind of surprised that he played that last game, but obviously he wasn't ready to. And um, that was it. Well, I, another thing I want to say about this, Brent, and you can talk about this if you want. What if, Dwayne Haskins brings that back to one of his teammates and that leads to one of his teammates dying of COVID. I mean, right. And anything and, and is this possible. Was, yeah. The, the thing is that it's, there are things that happen that are maybe careless. Um, but we've seen similar things from like James Harden, um, who's got his whole dispute going on with the Houston Rockets about whether he's going to stay there or not. And he ended up reporting late. And then there were pictures of him doing pretty much the same thing. Mm, um, yeah. But but his talent level and his on-court production is such that they tolerate that. And that's sort of the hypocrisy of pro sports. Oh, that's if one you, of the hypocrisies of get, pro sports. If you, get, if, if you, if you consider, continue to perform, they'll put up with a <clears throat> whole lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's true story. And so uh, behavior, good behavior, bad behavior. Brent, you uh, brought up an issue that took place in college football, an outright brawl that everyone's starting to hear about now. Yeah, I, 
I mean, this just happened this this afternoon in this uh, bowl game between Mississippi State and Tulsa ended in I mean, there's football brawls where people push and shove. And, it, and this one was helmets off, throwing haymakers, guys getting stomped on on the ground. There were players that were injured in it that had to be helped off the field. Um, should yeah, we show, I, I, should I really we show a have... little video clip of this? Yeah. Okay, here we go. Let us see. Share screen. Yeah. Here we go. Can you all see that? Yep. Yeah, there we go. Wow, take a look at that. That's what semi pro can look like sometimes. Let me tell you that. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is nuts. <laughs> and looks like they're exiting the field, and then someone falls, and then it's it breaks out again. It just breaks out, breaks out like crazy. And this looks is like where a, it starts to looks get Looks like bad. a European soccer match gone bad. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 did, it looked like there was some stuff that was being said that really set, set off a couple people, um, but no idea what it was. But and the game had been pretty chippy. Um, I didn't see much, you know, a whole lot of it, but it, like at the, I guess even from the very start, there was bad blood between a couple teams that I don't think have any real connections to each other. But, okay, yeah, was... and then the question, as we've been talking about, where's the leadership? Where's the the people who stand up and have a a a higher way of acting, a better way of acting? Where are the where are those leaders? That's what we're really craving. I'm looking at this, saying, "Wow, that kind of looked like 2020 to me," you know. And where are the people <laughs> to stand up and say, "Wait a minute, no, let's not do"? Because you usually see that you see people, you know, teammates standing up and saying, "Hey, you know, this isn't us." We're we're not going to do this. Where are they? I mean, there's a few there, but you know, <laughs> whoa, you know, right. look at probably, this. Yeah, they're probably standing on the sidelines and not getting involved, going, ah, I don't want to be caught seen doing this. Yeah, and now you're seeing uh, in the pictures uh, someone being walked off, uh, someone injured in the brawl. Uh, criminal charges? You think those are, are going to happen, or do you think this is just, ah, oh, it's just all in this, all in the name of sports? I think they should. I mean, for one thing, you got numbers on everyone, so it's not hard to identify <laughs> <laughs> identify people. That's true. But, you know, there's there, there's what happens on the field, and this is completely, you know, not part of the game. And um, both head coaches obviously lost track of both their teams, and that should be looked into. Mississippi State's coach being Mike Leach, that we're familiar with from his time at Wazoo here too. So uh yeah it's it's just you know if i went to one of those schools i'd be pretty appalled and embarrassed like, well the question I, is whether or not there's going to be any accountability or whether or not they're just going to make excuses for them because i think that's what's going on in the broader culture right now it's you know there's a lot of frustration you know it's 2020 and so and so that that's going to be my concern is that I mean, I'm hoping that they will, um, that people will be disciplined appropriately and potentially even charges filed, depending on, you know, what it is that, I mean, what we just saw happen very quickly. So it's hard to tell, but I mean, I, I think people need to be held accountable for their actions. And, and we seem to have really lost that in our culture and our society these days. All right. So where does our restraint come into play with that big issue I wanted to take on athletic activism, athletes and activism. And I want to hone in on the WNBA because their players are at the forefront of this. The Seattle Storm late last year, you know, 2020, um, the NBA champions endorsed Joe Biden and Camilla Harris. That was the first time that I know of that a pro sports team endorsed a political candidate, crossed that line and said, you know, this sports team is for that, which to me was outlandish. That's like saying, if you're voting for someone else, 
you're not really part of our team. It, it just, it, it left a bad taste in my mouth. Is that the same when players get up and give glory to God? I'm going to ask you that, but let me set the stage a little bit more. Um, this last week, the Storm sported t-shirts calling for the arrest of officers who were involved in the Brianna Taylor case where she was killed. In August, uh, players took to the court wearing vote, vote Warnick. They were t-shirts to support a Democrat uh, candidate against Kelly Loeffler. Do I, did I say Loeffler, right? That's correct. That's correct. Michelle. Okay. Kelly she, Loeffler, one of the uh, co-owners of, I believe the Atlanta dream of the WNBA. Yes, indeed. And, Mr. Encyclopedia and Loeffler uh, was a former wall street executive. And she said this when they wanted to put Black Lives Matter on the court floors. She said, I'm adamantly opposed to the Black Lives Matter political movement. Maybe not Black Lives Matter, but the political movement is what she said. And a day after the league announced that it would put these on the courts, that's what she said. And then everybody's wearing anti-Loffler shirts. So this is what she said. This is just more proof that the out of control cancel culture, I'm reading from my screen here, wants to shut out anyone who disagrees with them. It's clear the league is more concerned with playing politics than basketball. Is that the case, gentlemen? Well, that is the case, Michelle, because as I told, as I've talked about on this show, the, the WNBA does more to promote its off-the-court causes than promoting itself as a sports league. Well, no to wonder they're not, making less money. I mean, come on. Uh, ex, ex, that's exactly my point. Because remember the statistics that I shared about uh, the storm and their attendance. Uh, 2019, which is the last MTC. year that was a, was able to have fans. They only had 7,000 562 fans average per game at 17 at 17 home games. And that's a team that has won multiple championships mm -hmm. and you're not even drawing 10,000 fans a game. And then Sue bird talks about how there is discrimination and no respect for WNBA players for a variety of reasons. Well, let's face no off on it guys. This week, we've got a face-off. And they're going to face-off against one another. I mean, come on. Sue Bird said the reasons why these seats are empty there is because you are bigoted. You don't like uh, women who are strong. You don't like women who are uh, black. You don't like women who aren't cute, petite, and, and sweet. So it's really your fault. Well... Sue Bird is wrong because college, women's college basketball is one of the most popular sports in the country. And the women's uh -oh. and the and the women's college basketball NCAA tournament is also one of the biggest events that the NCAA puts on every year. And she she should know that because she has had so she had so much success at the University of Yukon. Now, if the University of Yukon can draw fans, then the, then the WNBA should be able to launch from that platform and not uh, have to move franchises, not be a league that has only 11 teams in it started with more than 11 teams in 1997, but, it, but it's had to move several franchises and several franchises, including the Houston Comets that won four WNBA titles, the Houston Comets, won four WNBA titles, they no longer exist. So this is an economic, it is, a, it is more of an economic issue and an issue of attracting fans to your sport than it is a political one or an issue of racism or any kind of bigotry. If a team that has won four championships can't survive financially, there's something wrong with the way you're running your league. That's why I say the WNBA stands for we're not basketball anymore. Ooh. Ooh. Whoa. Bam. <laughs> There's a mic drop for you. Those are the, those are the facts. <laughs> yeah. If I the, think, 
Go ahead, Brent. Well, I, I think athlete activism so often means, um, well, it almost always means pushing of one viewpoint. You know, we, we've talked about wanting diversity here, diversity there, but boy, you start talking about political diversity or faith diversity or, you know, any diversity of viewpoint, you get into all sorts of trouble. And I think specifically with the WNBA is done with Kelly Loeffler, um, because there, there was an article, I believe it was in Sports Illustrated, where they Correct. talked about how they wouldn't even say her name. Um, so to me, that kind of cult, cancel culture is, is, is hate speech. And it's an insidious form of hate speech because it leads to what we've seen, the erasure of people and of history. And once you can justify doing that um, in a symbolic sense, the next step is to start doing it in reality. And we've seen that. You know, I, I'm not I'm not trying to play the Nazi card here because everybody does that. But we've seen that with um, the attempt to eradicate the Jews. We've seen that in Africa with various conflicts there, genocidal mm -hmm. conflicts. It starts with trying to remove the reality of other people's lives from your existence because you can't tolerate being around them. Yeah, that, and, and that's close to where we're at. Well, and it, you've heard, you all have heard me just go on and on about this is that if you're going to allow something, then allow it fairly and equally or don't allow it at all. And, and really, I think that's the bottom line. I don't, I don't think people would, would really have a problem if you did allow that across the board. So, you know, because the, when, when Hong Kong was going through all the problems with China, uh, we saw that within the NBA when, you know, we talked about NASCAR and flag, the Confederate flag and, and all these different things. It's like, if you're gonna allow a flag, allow all flags. If you're going to allow one political cause, then allow all political causes. If you're going to, but allow we don't do that. The, our own here in Seattle, that. our Seattle Sounders, uh, Antifa, yeah, come on in. But anybody else, forget it. We don't want any other politics here. Uh, and I will tell you my famous moment with Megan Rapone when we were at a uh, a presser about two years ago. Right when they were going to introduce the rainbow kits in in uh, in play, and they were going to introduce the the rainbow the rainbow in uh, for the LGBTQ movement in uh, most of sports, okay, for for at least part of their uniforms, and she had said, "I'm here to let everyone know that the rain is a gay locker room." We are a gay locker room. And so I asked her, so Megan, how would you feel if someone stood up and said, we are a white locker room or we are a Christian locker room? You know, would, would you feel like that was excluding all others? And she was very unhappy with my question. So were what a lot of the other connection? people. <laughs> Michelle, can I ask you, what was the exact thing that she said? Now, if I remember correctly, and we, I can maybe look back at uh, the video of that, uh, she just went into a diatribe of how we're we're here to uh, be diverse. We, we, we need to welcome the LGBTQ people. And she's right. It doesn't matter what you are, what you believe, where you've been. You're here to play the game. I get it. But to my greater point, of course, is are we excluding all others? But here's my question to you guys, and I, I want to hear from Josh and Tom as well. Uh, are we doing that, though, when, you know, Russell Wilson is giving glory to God and DK Metcalf is saying thank you, thank you, God, and tweeting out scriptures? Is it the same thing, just uh, more palatable because, well, we're Christians, no way, shape, or form is it the same thing. Why? Because I, because DK Metcalf is doing that on his own personal Twitter account, his own personal social media, and also Russell Wilson in a lot of the in a lot of the interviews does give glory to God. But remember, Russell has earned that interview opportunity. So if he has earned that interview opportunity, then he has the same freedom of, of speech as Megan Rapino. 
but what I'm and it doesn't what, mean that he can't it doesn't mean that he can't be asked or challenged about it either. I mean, that's no, that's, no, that's the thing. not I think, at all. I think Russell would actually, you know, welcome that. OK, I, and like I've said on this, like I've said on the show several times, Michelle, anytime that Megan Rapinoe and Sue Bird want to come down for a conversation, they're more than welcome to come on this more than welcome. And I think that's absolutely true because I want to hear what their concerns are. I want, you know, you, you have a, a message, something that, that, that is at the core of what you think is important in this world. Some of the issues that you want to see make a difference. You know, I'm not here to, to really slam the, their ideas or their message or their uh, their voice. It's the appropriateness and it's the exclusionary cancel culture that I find a big problem with. But Josh, do we, I agree with Rich, if you're doing this on your own time, one, that's one thing. You don't see the Seattle Seahawks or Russell Wilson saying this is a Christian team. You don't see him saying, you know, you either believe in God or, or you're out. Uh, Josh, Tom, you've been kind of quiet. What do you, what do either of you say? Yeah, it, it's exclusionary versus inclusionary is the issue there. Are you being exclusive to people that are thinking the same? We say it's diversity, but it's it's diversity of one kind, but ignoring the diversity of the mind, diversity Excellent of the point. And you're excluding anyone that does not agree with you on everything. And my goodness, I've seen so many people like in the walk away movement. You can look that up on Twitter, the hashtag walk away people that really were pushed away from from that liberal mindset because specifically of people, if they disagree on one thing that you're 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 basically Hitler, you know, (laughs) you're evil. If you if you don't agree on every single point that that they're saying you're excluded and you're not the same and it pushes you down a path of like well maybe i, I shouldn't be agreeing with a lot more and makes you kind of think a little bit more yeah Whereas welcome look- to the ecs section the emerald city supporters section of the seattle sounders that's the exactly. mindset there Whew. whereas if you look at russell wilson what he's doing it's inclusionary he is anyone that wants to talk to him about it. He will talk to him about it. If someone wants to challenge him, I'm sure he would be happy. Like you mentioned to, to have that conversation, to have that talk. Any of these guys, I mean, any Christian really should be willing to always be ready to give an account of our faith. That's yep. part of it. And First so Peter three fifteen. Yeah, exactly. And the greatest of these is love, loving each other, right? We're not here to, to judge people. We're not here to tell people that, they're the devil, you know, we're here to love people and not everyone unfortunately remembers that message all the time. Uh, but the most important is to love people and be inclusionary. And it doesn't matter how you think. It doesn't matter how you look. It doesn't matter what your lifestyle is. We're here to love people. And unfortunately what we're seeing from, from like Megan Rapoe to the like is that it's, it's, I love you. If you think the same way I do. If you agree otherwise you're the enemy, but Jenny Gilder exactly. is the owner of the storm. And she had said that there's kind of a fantasy that sports is in one domain and politics are in another. She calls it a fantasy that, that they're really separated. She says that if you're a woman or a person of color or you're gay, politics has always been a way of how the America, how Americans view sports and who has access to them. So that's why there is that blur. I think that's important to note, to understand where that mindset comes from, that they're saying, you know, you think sports and politics are separate, but we haven't felt like we have the access. We haven't felt like we've been hurt. They've always been mixed for us. <clears throat> well, I think that that and, mindset, Michelle, is actually factually incorrect. Sports has always been a part of politics and politics has always been a part of sports. But it is how we navigate those two navigate those two issues. And let me bring up a historical perspective since I am the encyclopedia. <laughs> of sports thank you for that nickname by the way i appreciate i appreciate that i hope i can live up to it i hope i can live up to it every week let's, <laughs> take, let's take a really extreme example the 1936 olympics are called hitler's olympics for a reason because he used that to promote his 
view of society and his view of the world and the way he wanted to dominate the world and the way he wanted to see the world come to pass. So he used something that was positive, something that was good to promote an evil message. But at the same time, you can use sports to promote the gospel. Now, this was, this goes back to one of our other topics where pe some people say, well, sports has nothing to do with the gospel. But uh, I become all things to all men that I might win some. <laughs> Remember, that's what the Bible says. I th thought we were supposed to go by that book and not our own book. Okay? <laughs> Just a little bit of a reminder to people out there who are Oh, I guess. Listening okay. to the <laughs> I, and I, I would like to weigh in as a woman, if you don't mind, and as a minority, that, first of all, sports is a great equalizer. If I am, you, you know, you even mentioned, Brent, that if you are uh, failing uh, – in immorality sometimes they'll look the other way because you are bringing it on the field the pitch or the court you know that's saying that you might not be really comfortable with me as a woman or me as a woman of color but if i bring it in the sport i'm going to be starting because you are looking for the win it's a great equalizer but here's something else that i'd like to bring to the table this whole mindset of uh politics and access it is that very political mindset that is limiting access to women because of our acceptance of biologically born men identifying as women and misplacing women in sports. Exactly. Uh, canceling their scholarships and their ability to play. So that kind of inclusion without intellect, it's wonky. Boom. Soapbox down. Well, I would say what the point that you're trying to make, Michelle, is that living in a world that does not use wisdom to attack some of these very important issues, that is, that is not only wise, unwise, that is suicidal. Well put. Hey, I, I wanted to ask Tom and, and Garrick, you two as, as coaches, you've coached people who are of great diversity. Garrick, you've coached all over the world. Tom, you've coached boys that have come from differing backgrounds, differing faiths, differing socioeconomic backgrounds. Tom, you know, how, how do you find that kind of unity on the field? Because we're seeing a lot of this my way or the highway. Yeah, well, in certain in certain areas, you know, you can get away with that. And then uh, high school and middle school, you know, kind of my way or the highway. But, you know, at, at another level, you know, it I have been guilty of being the guy that, you know, has kind of looked the other way on certain things because the guy can uh, or the guys can produce on field. And it and it does, you know, with uh, I, I do it with kind of a heavy heart sometimes and. Now, now later on, you know, you see guys later and they went to another team or, you know, and then they end up coming back and you end up being coached by them and you see how they've grown. And there's a little bit of wisdom that, you know, I've passed on because of the mistakes I've made and I've seen them grow as men. So, I mean, you know, you may not see the immediate positive effect right then and there when you allow certain things to go or let go just because they're a good player. But later on, they're still that good player. And, you know, maybe they've had a, a child on the way or something that has made them grow into a man. And you see that, you know, like four or five years later, and it's like, wow, okay, I did have a positive effect on this young man, even though I looked the other way on a, a few things, you know, and let him figure it out for himself. I think something powerful about what you just said, too, is is that recognition that people are people having that uh, that grace walking in grace, not this cancel culture that we're seeing now. And as much as I love watching Sue Bird and Megan and a lot of other players that are act, athlete activists, I love watching them on the field. I, I love uh, when I've gotten to engage in one on one situations with them. Great people. I 
I really believe that. But that mindset of cancel culture is the exact opposite of what we heard you say, Tom. Your mindset is, you know, people each have a story. How can I make a difference to you? You, you are more important than than my activism. Garrick? Yeah, and and I think as a coach and as a player, I mean, and I've been in over 20 countries playing soccer. And I, I remember one situation where we were actually in um, Germany and we got invited to come to the training ground of FC Bayern, Bayern Munich. And um, I didn't speak any German, maybe a couple of words, but we went out there on the pitch and they were just kind of in, it was midday on, a, on an off time of year and um, there were players out there and without talking to them at all we got out there on the pitch and we did a little bit of a kick around and we came off the pitch and all of a sudden the relationship that was there was different because of the fact that you had that commonality of sports and so this is something and I mean we always talk about soccer just being the international language that everyone speaks Mm -hmm. and and it really does that. And, and it opens doors, it opens opportunities, it opens relationships. And, you know, we've literally, I mean, and we've, we've been able to take the gospel behind the Iron Curtain, behind the Bamboo Curtain um, in China and, and all these different places because of the fact that we were soccer players and we were invited in because of our reputation as soccer players. And then we were able to... Um, to have a platform to share about our faith too. And it spread like COVID. There you go. There's no mask for Jesus. <laughs> Josh, you, you, I, I want to get your thoughts on this as well as we move into this new year. Is athlete activism going anywhere or is it just going to continue? I, I don't, I think it's going to continue. I think you're going to see it and for better or for worse, you're going to see it. And I've talked a lot about the hypocrisy that I see in a lot of it. I mean, like LeBron James, for instance, I know he's a great athlete and I love watching him play, but the the silence that you see from him and a lot of the NBA players on the issues going on in China. Selective um, outrage. We talk about a lot. Yeah, it's that kind of hypocrisy when they want to stand up for what what's going to get. They're like corporations. You know, it's like when corporations like Pepsi did their big commercial about uh, that did not go over well. Kind of tone deaf trying to, you know, show people getting along with police and all that. It's just, you know, it's when they try to market themselves and they do these things that they think are going to promote their brand they're about their brand but if something's going to hurt them monetarily they don't they don't have the cojones to to step up to the plate and still take a swing at that if you want to be an activist you want to earn my respect as an activist and you want me to to really respect what you're doing then do it where it might hurt you monetarily do it where it might hurt in that back pocket otherwise you're just another corporation looking out for your brand even so if you're an individual. even if you're a player, I think a deeper story really is how can I show deference to other people? Look, what happened in Minneapolis? I was there at George Floyd Square, not maybe weeks after he was killed and felt what was going on there amongst the neighborhood, amongst the people. And there was a movement and, and that movement was not a political movement. It was a spiritual movement. It was a movement of people coming together, getting baptized. People were getting baptized on the flippin' street every single night because people were looking for deeper answers. And what I heard there was, yeah, there needs to be some social change. Yeah, there is bigotry. And trust me, we all can come up against bigotry and uh poor treatment. It's not limited to white males against black guys. This is a, it's a human nature problem. So when we come against things that are unjust, nothing wrong with saying, and, and using my famous platform as a sports star to say, this isn't good. Let's have a conversation. But it's this cancel culture that's resulted that I think Josh is going to dwindle because as we're seeing with the storm, it's monetary, monetary suicide. People are sick of it. It's nauseating. Yeah. I, I mean, I think there's a point where some of it is going to be walked back, but I think you're always going to see these individuals that um, are going to push for that cancel culture. I think there's a lot. 
invested in in themselves and until those people are out of sports which i, I don't think is happening soon uh, you're gonna have people keep on pushing for for this josh you and tom can't see it but uh garrick just did a uh costumes change that was pretty cool we went from <laughs> we went from sports to suit right boom right there that was pretty cool nice job <laughs> he cleans up good <laughs> He changes like Superman in the phone booth. <laughs> Is that your uh, your New Year's outfit, your New Year's garb there? I like it. <laughs> that was my Christmas suit. Yeah. There you go. Hey, guys, I want to talk uh, just a couple other things in our final few minutes together. Um, we're going to be dealing with COVID in the new year, and the NBA is requiring players to wear sensors as part of contact tracing. Um, there is a lot of concern in contract tact tracing in the big realm for all of us you and I as people say uh, they want to track our phones they want to see where we're at it's starting to feel a little uh, with that and with all of the propaganda whether you think COVID's a big deal whether you believe in masks or not whether you're going to get jabbed with the vaccine it's starting to feel a little bit like we're in a communist bloc country and we're all going to be wearing these gray jumpsuits pretty soon um, and it's uh, sports it's a private industry they can do what they want but I want your thoughts well in the article you referenced Michelle they did talk about there is no going to be no GPS tracing of where people go. More like there is going to be tracing of who you come in contact with. I don't, but I don't know how you draw that line. I was a little unclear at the understanding of how you draw that line technologically. That's where I'm a little bit concerned. Oh, I don't know. Maybe if they just put something in our right hand or foreheads, it would make it a lot easier. Hey guys, what I wanted to get to for our final shot is pred predictions. Maybe we should do these separately. I I'd like a prediction for this next year for 2021, some sports predictions, and we'll go around the round table and we'll start with Encyclopedia Rich. Uh, number one sports prediction for 2021 the Seattle Kraken will make the Stanley Cup playoffs. In the oh, that'd be awesome. Oh, there we go. There we go. Awesome. That Kraken. That Kraken. You took mine. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. All right. Let's get pinged. Oh, wow. My prediction is that sports will not return to normal, sadly. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I was going through my mind thinking everything's going to be back once they have this vaccine. I, I it's not going to happen, sadly, um, and I think it's it's just going to uh, continue to be just a weird, weird world. I'll play off of that because uh, things are, are not going to go back to normal. We are going to be lulled into uh, vaccine euphoria and think that everything's going to be fine, but people can still catch that you may still transmit after you've gotten the vaccine and with the mutations. Uh, we may be looking at more issues later. So I'm not sure that the world is going to go back to normal or 2021 is looking all that great. But I will say that there's a phrase I learned back in youth group years, klugics. Anyone ever heard of klugics? No? Keep no. looking up. Jesus is coming soon. Keep looking up. Jesus is coming soon. Brent Baker. Um, the Yellowstone volcano is going to erupt and send us into an ice age. Oh, you wanted sports. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, more winter sports. More winter sports. More sports. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I think we'll see the Mariners push for 500 this year, and we'll see some more Jared Kelnick and Julio Rodriguez may start to make an impact. Maybe not burst out into stardom, but I think that we'll see – the M's really start to see more fruit of their rebuilding process. And I think a year from now is when we'll really start to make it, you know, a push to being actually good consistently. Um, That'd be crazy. So that, that's going to be my big, my, my big, my big, you know, and the Seahawks winning the Super Bowl. Now I think I honestly, I think the Seahawks have a great chance to get to the Super Bowl, but matching up against Kansas city or even Buffalo again. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. Okay, I want to okay. see that Buffalo I'll matchup. Say, that'd be nice. That that'd Buffalo. be nice. I'd like to see a rematch. Yeah. Fish. <laughs> Coach Fish. Well, you guys, 
you guys keep taking all my stuff. Because <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say the Seahawks. Hey, in the new year, twenty twenty one, Seahawks will make and win the Super Bowl. Uh, hey, that works. Twenty twenty one. That's Why right. Not? That Why works. Not? Why not? <laughs> Joshua McMillan. He is our our very own Wookie, and I have Wookie sound effects, but he does so much better. <laughs> That's your prediction? Yeah, my prediction. I'm actually going to one-up Brent here a little bit. I think that the Mariners are going to have another Rookie of the Year coming out. I don't know which one it'll be because they got so many, but I think they're going to have another Rookie of the Year next year, and I think they make the playoffs, uh, maybe in a wild-card matchup, but I think next year, I think it's the year to end the drought. Guys, it's time for our final shot. If there's, if there's, if there's an expanded playoffs, they can make it this year. But... We'll have to remember this moment, Josh. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see what's happening. Let's go around the round table and let's hear what our final shot is. That's where we give a shout out or a thought. And we will start with Tom so no one steals your thunder. <laughs> yeah, and now he's going to say, I'm not I ready. Wait a minute. <laughs> no, I'm ready. Being, being a high school football coach, I, I just feel that things are not going to return to normal. And I... I wish they would, but you know we're going to have to start looking for for other things, I guess, in the in the future. Something deeper. I don't know, Joshua. Yeah, you know i I got to give one out to John Schneider because I think a lot of us questioned him this last year. A lot of us kind of spent some time thinking, I don't know, is this guy like, you know, he passed up a lot of pass rushers and he made the gave away so many first round picks for, for just just for one guy you know Jamal Adams but you know look at this year look how it's ha- handled Carlos Dunlap he has more sacks combined than the rest of the guys we were looking at Everson Griffin um who was the guy that we got rid of that wasn't very Cloudy. good Jadavian Cloudy yeah, JV, Jadavian Clowney's been on IR uh, Clay Matthews a lot of these guys aren't playing or aren't playing well uh so he is, he's been the one to get, you know, they passed up a lot of these talents that they could have spent big money for that ended up not being worth the big money. And Carlos Dunlap came in and made the difference. Jamal Adams, he's proven to be worth every single one of those picks. You know, that goal line stand alone, you saw that hustle, that rocket out of the backfield, um, picking of Jordan Brooks, which a lot of people really criticized over, I think it was Patrick queen that they could have picked up that the Baltimore did, you know, these moves that at the beginning of the year we were really questioning have really come to fruition. And big credit, by the way, with Jamal Adams. He was a guy that people are saying, oh, he's going to be toxic in the locker room. You know, he's going <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, to yeah. He's gonna, you know, he's not worth that. He's gonna, it's not, too much of a drama queen. He's come here and been nothing but class. That guy is pure class. And he is excited for this opportunity. He's happy to be here. And even when he went and played against the Jets, nothing but class on facing them no no hard feelings i love the guy i have been so happy with that trade since then so big credit to john schneider who for some people was on the hot seat this year i think he's well off the hot seat now brent baker so any of you guys ever play stratomatic baseball Long Man, time that ago. Is, that is, Long oh my gosh, it, it is, I, the makers of that game were absolutely brilliant. There's a computer version available now too, and you can play it online like fantasy sports. What but is it? In a, year, in a year where the baseball, I mean, we got a third of a season and, um, and it was kind of tough to watch for a while. Man, that game ha- has been, um, it's just amazing. It's, I mean, it's a classic board game. But ah. if you play out a whole, if you play a whole season out with it, which could take years, um, you actually could like track player statistics. So they would actually pretty come out pretty close to what they do during the course of an actual season. Crazy. It's a, yep. It's just a brilliant game and I love it. And um, thank you guys for doing that decades ago. Um, I like it. Return to the child, return to the childhood thing. <laughs> <laughs> Rich Hallstrom. Another prediction as my final shot. The University of Washington football team returns 20 of 22 starters. That's what it's looking like so far. They will make next year's college football playoff. 
Ooh, okay. Prediction Ooh. and thoughts. It's after they joined after they joined the Big Twelve, so they have some legitimacy. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have we don't have time for a Larry Scott segment this week, guys. We have to <laughs> wait, wait, no, but there's always time for a Larry Scott segment. There's always <laughs> time. Larry, Maybe that should be yeah. our new that should you know what? That's my prediction. Larry Scott gets fired. <laughs> and we, we actually have someone good working for the Pac-12. <laughs> I think we so just my, need a... My we... final shot is um, also prediction, uh, the NBA expansion franchise, Seattle oh, yeah. Supersonics. Absolutely. That is so awesome. exciting. And we do know that the, the idea of the... Uh, so the Sonics coming back, they say, hey, the stadium's ready to go. I'm excited about that thought. But my final shot goes out to, uh, first of all, 2020 for helping us to center in and figure out what really is important, you know, to get Amen. off some of the, the treadmill that we've been on and get back centered in to the things that matter. And that's our faith in God and our faith in one another. Um MyMichelleLive.com is where you can find us. I want to thank everyone who's part of this journey because it's pretty exciting. Just started at the end of 2020 and we're moving into 2021 sharing the God story. So whether it's in sports or science or health or any number of things that we talk about. It's the God story that gets my shout out because God is good and he is mighty. And if we can find God in the practical everyday stories of life, we can share that as well. So like it, share it, download it, and uh, tell your friends about it. We're MyMichelleLive.com. And this is what we call Sports Time Out. Rich Hallstrom, uh, Garrick Payne, Brent Baker, Joshua McMillan, Tom Fisher. Our villain wasn't here today who we know and love as Chris Brown and some of the other guys who have been part of Sports Time Out. Thank you so much for joining us. For more fun, go to mymichellelive.com. <laughs>